Friends, today we're now in the middle of our sermon series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount entitled, The Call to Be a Courageous Christian. In today's text, Jesus focuses on three spiritual practices, fasting, charitable giving, and prayer. Jesus presents all three as appropriate practices for people of faith. But as usual, Jesus dives deep under the surface to give guidance for each and addresses a person's inner motivation for doing such acts. Now, in today's text, Jesus uses the language of Greek drama. In verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness, that is, your acts of piety, before others in order to be seen by them. Now, the verb to be seen is the verb theotonai, from which we get our English word theater. Jesus is saying, don't perform your religious practices in front of others so as to be theater for them or to provide a performance for others. Now, this theatrical righteousness wants to do good in a way that is dramatically noticeable to other people. That's what Jesus is warning against throughout our text. Now, this may bring to mind Jesus' words earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, which Emily addressed some weeks back in this same series, when Jesus challenged his hearers to be the light of the world, to let our light shine before others so they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. What isn't today's text at odds with this earlier teaching? Well, I don't think so. As T.W. Manson, a famous British New Testament scholar, notes, Disciples are to let their light, that is our good deeds, shine before others for the glory of God. Here, though, in this case, it's, it's people performing works of acts of piety for self-glorification. So that's the difference. What's our motivation? For impressing other people or in order to focus on and praise God? What Jesus critiques in today's text is doing good, not in order to praise God, but in order to call attention to ourselves and to bask in the glory of demonstrations of our Christian piety. In each of Jesus' three examples, fasting, charitable giving, and prayer, Jesus labels hypocrites, those who act in order to impress others. The word hypocrite is from the Greek. It means literally one who answers, and over time the word came to denote an actor an answerer of sorts who played a part in a drama. And over time, the word hypocrite developed negative connotations to describe a person who acted falsely or who practiced deceit. Now, the word hypocrite appears 18 times in the New Testament. All are from the mouth of Jesus in the Gospels. And 14 of those 18 uses appear here in Matthew's Gospel. As Jesus will explain, hypocrites are those engaged in right actions for the wrong reasons. Rather than serving God and doing these things to be seen by God, for hypocrites, the true motive is self-promotion. With that introduction, let's hear today's text from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 and verses 16 through 18. The scripture today is Matthew 6, 1 to 8, and 16 through 18, New Revised Standard Version. 
Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want to begin my comments with fasting. Refraining from eating in order to focus on God and prayer sometimes as an act of repentance, was very common in Jesus' day. Now, might fasting become a meaningful practice for us today? Absolutely, though I would check first with your physician before fasting for more than just an occasional meal or two to see if it's, if, if it's safe and to get some guidelines from your physician. In Jesus' day, when people fasted, they often put ashes on their heads. Jesus criticizes those who refuse to wash their face and comb their hair so that people take notice of their act of devotion. Jesus tells such people, you've already received your reward. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Like playing a part in a play, Jesus is saying, don't fast so as to call attention to yourself. With fasting, as with charitable giving and prayer, Jesus speaks about losing our reward from God when we engage in these spiritual practices for the purpose of impressing others. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Isn't salvation an undeserved gift which we receive by faith, not something we achieve? What then does Jesus mean by losing our reward? Now, according to Jesus, at the end of time, although salvation is a gift, not an achievement, God will still repay us according to what we have done. So Jesus is warning that deeds motivated by impressing others 
are utterly worthless in God's sight. Jesus also addresses charitable giving in this passage. Literally, charitable giving to support the poor because he speaks about giving alms. And he advises, whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as he says, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. And as in the case of those fasting, not as an offering to God, but as a way to blow your own horn, to impress others, so also those who give to the needy in order to receive notoriety and recognition by other people have already received their reward and been paid in full. For hypocrites, in other words, Jesus is describing charitable giving as a business transaction. You give a certain amount of money in order to receive a certain amount of public admiration. The problem is God isn't impressed. Instead, Jesus advises, when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing, so your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I was once a member of the Rotary Club in Watsonville when I served the Presbyterian Church there, the United Presbyterian Church, and enjoyed that involvement with Rotary very, very much. But one thing made me wince. On Rotary Foundation Day, large donations in the thousands, sometimes in the tens of thousands, were announced to publicly recognize the Rotarians who were the most generous givers. Now, Jesus lampoons that motivation. Now, Rotary International is a wonderful organization. Its motto, service above self, is profoundly reflective of Christian values. But praising generous givers by name publicly isn't. Now, finally, and I want to focus most of my attention here today, Jesus teaches about prayer. He continues this theme that acts of piety should be offered to God out of sight of others for the sole purpose of drawing near to God, not of impressing other people. Now, it's important to realize that first century Jews usually prayed out loud, even probably if they were alone. And the typical prayer posture was standing with arms outstretched and head bowed, uh, which means it was very clearly identifiable. Jesus advises us to go into our room, into our closet, and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And our Father who sees in secret will reward us. Now, I found personally Jesus' counsel about finding a private space for prayer to be very practical and helpful advice so that I can concentrate and stay focused when I pray. Jesus warns, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so they may be seen by others. Now, in one of Jesus' parables, not here in Matthew's gospel, but in the neighboring gospel of Luke, he paints a picture of the kind of person who prays, gives, and fasts in order to impress other people. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And the story goes that a Pharisee and a tax collector went up to the temple to pray in Jerusalem. 
The Pharisee's prayer was a self-congratulatory list of his spiritual achievements. He boastfully thanked God that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and he looks over and sees a tax collector, even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all of my income. That was his prayer. By contrast, the tax collector, who was indeed a thief, and a rogue approached God with penitence and humility. He wouldn't even look heavenward, but beat his breast to express his penitence, and he prayed simply, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the purpose of the parable, Jesus announces at its end, it was the sinful tax collector and not the self-righteous Pharisee who returned home that day in right relationship with God. A good warning to everyone. Well, after warning about using prayer as a means of impressing other people, Jesus offers some additional teaching about how not to pray initially. He said, when you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard because of their many words. Here, Jesus' rule about prayer is longer isn't necessarily better. After all, Jesus' model prayer, which Emily will preach on next Sunday, is very brief. It just takes about 30 seconds to recite. First century Greco-Roman religion prompted a chaotic excess of words and ritual. And many Romans and Greeks, in fact, were attracted to Judaism because of its absence of excessive words and rituals. Now, prayers in the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, were usually simple and straightforward. But in order to get a hearing with the pagan gods, when Greeks and Romans prayed to their whole pantheon of deities, prayers were lengthy because they believed gods had little desire to listen to worshipers and that their gods only began to listen after a lengthy prayer. By contrast, Jesus is teaching that lengthy prayers aren't required in order to get God to listen. Jesus teaches both here and later in the same Sermon on the Mount that God desires an intimate relationship with each of us through prayer, that God is eager to listen and eager to respond to our requests. Some people think that Jesus' teaching here, commending prayers that are fairly brief, contradicts the teaching of the Apostle Paul that we should, as he tells the Christians in Thessalonica, <clears throat> to pray without ceasing. But friends, I don't think there's a contradiction at all. Long prayers are fine if that's what it takes to express what we need. But we needn't make a simple prayer complicated or longer either. Jesus mentions a final danger about prayer is that they needn't be lengthy because, quote, your father knows what you need before you ask him. In that connection, I like the story of the woman whose husband came home after a night of drinking with his friends at a local bar. He was quite inebriated, so his wife helped get him upstairs to the bedroom, undressed him and tucked him into bed. And, and then she asked John, do you want me to pray for you tonight? And he nodded yes, and so she began to pray aloud. Dear Lord, I pray for my dear husband, John, who lies here before you drunk. <laughs> before she could continue, her husband interrupted. 
honey, don't tell God I'm drunk. Just say I'm sick. Good luck with that. God already knows. Since God already knows our needs already, we don't need to go into excruciating detail when we pray. But we still need to pray in order to build that trusting, intimate relationship with God and to keep God in Christ at the center of our lives. Close relationships, which we value, require time and attention, as does our relationship with God. In summary, Presbyterian scripture scholar Dale Bruner quotes the German Protestant reformer Martin Luther, who, reflecting on Jesus' teaching about prayer here in the Sermon on the Mount, writes that our prayer should be brief, intense, and frequent. And friends, I think that's a good guide and a good summary of what Jesus is teaching in this particular place. Now, what has Jesus taught us today about the spiritual practices of fasting, charitable giving, and prayer? That those acts of piety need to be motivated by our love and devotion to the triune God, not in order to impress other people. And in terms of prayer specifically, our prayers needn't be lengthy because God already knows our needs and eagerly, eagerly waits to hear from us. So may the triune God guide our spiritual practices, fasting, charitable giving, and prayer, and also our motives for engaging in them. Amen.